Hey everyone, it's Beverly Hallberg. Welcome to a special pop-up episode of She Thinks, your favorite podcast from the Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care about most. Enjoy. Welcome to a pop-up episode of She Thinks. I'm Patrice Anwuga, Director of the Center for Economic Opportunity at Independent Women's Forum. So independent contracting is a hot topic right now. From gig workers driving Uber to freelancers like mall Santas, uh, language interpreters to truck drivers. This is hot because the House of Representatives, uh, the U.S. House, just passed the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, also known as the PRO Act. And this has tucked into it a new definition for independent contracting that would reclassify that status for millions of workers uh, and turn them into employees, which would inevitably lead to the loss of contracts, loss of employment income, loss of opportunities. So we have two forthcoming research papers about the gig economy that's going to shed some light on why many women in particular, but also workers, choose to be independent contractors over traditional W-2 employees. Today, our scholar is Leah Palagashvili, and she's here to explain her work. Leah is a senior research fellow at Mercatus Center at George Mason University. Her primary research interest includes entrepreneurship, regulation, and the gig economy. She's been published, uh, she's published academic articles, book chapters, policy papers everywhere. And in 2016, she was named one of the Forbes 30 under 30 in law and policy. She has a PhD in economics from George Mason University, and we are delighted to have her here. So Leah, welcome to She Thinks. Hi, Patrice. Thanks for having me on this podcast with you. Awesome. Well, Leah, tell us, how did you start studying and and researching the gig economy? That's a unique niche. So when I was doing my PhD in economics, I did some labor-related research. For example, we looked at overtime regulations uh, with a colleague of mine. Uh, But I got interested in the gig economy because I was uh, living in New York uh, in early 2013. Actually, I was living in Queens, and it was just impossible to get a cab from Manhattan to Queens. Um, And you had to go through like an hour or so train ride in the evenings to get to get back home. And all of a sudden, like I just saw my world change when Uber and a, a bunch of other ride sharing companies uh, came into New York and it just instantly became so much easier to, to get back to get back home in the evenings. And I was like, wow, I can't believe <laughs> like in just a couple months, I saw like a, a big difference um, in in this and I started to get fascinated by it. And I was like, okay, what's what's Uber? What's the gig economy? Uh, so that was about five or six years ago when I started, uh, you know, getting interested in, in the gig economy. Well, and that's um, I love that your research was based on necessity, and I think some of the greatest inventions <laughs> are too. So, speaking of your research, you've got two forthcoming papers, and and let's talk about the first one. Tell us the headlines from that per- that first uh, e- economic paper that looks at the gig economy. So the first paper is called Employee versus Independent Worker, a Framework for Understanding Work Differences. And what my co-author and I try to do in that paper is we want to ask the question, like, are there real economic or work differences between 
people who are independent workers or independent contractors, Patrice, uh, versus those who are employees. And we test over 900 occupations thanks mm -hmm. to the Department of Labor-sponsored database called ONET. Um, and we were able basically to pull together 122 roles uh, in the United States that we classified as independent worker roles. And we found that uh, employees are individuals who do more interdependent team production coordination uh, roles and independent workers are much more um, engaged in roles that are individual uh, worker based. So they're much more, the, the type of work that they do is, uh, is more individual output based versus the type of work that employees do is much more interconnected team production is, is how we call it. And um, we did find statistically significant differences across independent workers uh, and employees. So in short, uh, employees tend to be people who need to, to, whose work depends on other people being, you may be right there, uh, whether physically or virtually, but really connecting with them on a day-to-day -day basis to get projects done. It's, that's what it, it sounds like versus independent contractors who can kind of go off. Uh, they, they're told what they need to be, what, what, what work needs to be done. They go off, do it however they want, whenever they want, and then you know, bring it back to the hire. So I think that's really interesting. And I'm, I'm guessing maybe part of the reason why uh, certain types of folks are, are attracted to independent contracting is because of flexibility. But I'm, I'm going to lead into the second question, which is, you know, about the second paper, which is women in the gig economy. And I'm going to guess, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to be a spoiler, but I'm going to guess flexibility is really important for women in the gig economy. Is that true? Yes, so we did two main things in that paper. First, uh, we did like a review of all the literature of women working as independent workers and women in quote unquote the gig economy. And by the way, like just one thing I wanted to point out is there's a whole research of women as independent workers even before the gig economy, right? Mm -hmm. Even before gig economy conquered, uh, you know, conquered America, so to speak. And it's exactly what you said, Patrice, is that women are attracted to these type of independent work opportunities uh, precisely because uh, it allows them greater flexibility. And uh, women may need to take uh, may need to take um, particular hours of the day off or need to be able to schedule the hours how they see fit because some of them are primary caregivers. So it's difficult to work nine to five uh, jobs, so to speak. Uh, and so we do, we did, first we find that review of the literature and um, both survey research on this about women preferring flexibility and even more so than men, by the way, there's survey research that it asks, like, what are the main motivations for why women and men go into independent work opportunities? And women more so than men say they, they do it for the flexibility it affords them, that it gives them. Um, there was one study that looked at it was a recent one, a recent survey that looked at 2,000 working women, um, excuse me, working women in the gig economy. And 96% uh, of them, almost all of them said that the primary reason they work uh, on these gig economy platforms is because of the flexibility it gives them. And by the way, a quarter of those respondents had recently just voluntarily left their traditional uh, jobs. And the majority of them said they did so because uh, they needed more flexibility or more time, um, uh, more time to take care of a child or an elderly parent or both. 
So that that's, I mean, I think that's really interesting because, I mean, it, it shows us, number one, that women are moving towards the gig economy. And I can imagine what the uh, what, what these numbers or surveys could look like based on the pandemic and how women have cut, had who've lost their jobs and maybe the service occupations have had to switch over and maybe found work, you know, through the gig economy. But what were two surprising observations from your research about women in the gig economy? Well, first, what we what we wanted to do, well, what what motivated us, I should say, is that we saw there was a large variation of women participating across different gig economy platforms. So, for example, if you look at Uber, you're not thinking, you know, women are participating on Uber as much as men, for example. But when you look at platforms like Etsy, year after year, over 86 percent uh, women as uh, independent workers on Etsy care.com, 95% women. And you're asking, wait, what's going on? <laughs> and so we found, one of the things we found, this is a study that was that has already been done, but it found that if you take out the transportation sector entirely, that's ride sharing, driving, food delivery, women actually comprise a greater mm. uh, share of the independent workforce. Um, but let me tell you what we did specifically in the paper. So we saw this variation and we wanted to ask, okay, so how do women choose between different independent work opportunities? How do women choose whether, why, why is it that more women are going towards Etsy and maybe care.com and some of these other platforms versus um, other platforms? And we used what's called the concept of temporal flexibility in the gender and economics research that says women will self-select self into the types of jobs that give them, so to speak, greater flexibility. Um, and so we actually empirically test this and quantify this and we say, okay, um, is that the case? And we do find that uh, women in the independent work context self-select into the types of independent work jobs or the types of gig economy jobs that do reflect greater temporal flexibility. And these are um, jobs that exhibit greater independence we found um, that allow more freedom to the individuals to make decisions uh, they're less structured for the worker, and they have shorter work weeks. So in a sense, women are self-selecting into these type of uh, jobs, even within the gig economy, the ones that give them more temporal flexibility. So those are two, those are probably more than two, but those are really interesting, surprising observations. What you just said, number one, that across the gig economy, women, you know, women are not equally in, in all of these different platforms. They're using some more than others, like the Etsy is more than maybe the Uber, um, Uber driving or, or rideshare driving. So I think that's very interesting. And number two, uh, you, you talked about not just women not wanting not just flexibility, but also, you know, greater kind of autonomy or, or freedom and how they get the work done. Uh, and I think that's also interesting. And so, um, you know, as we think about the debate right now, and, you know, if you are an avid She Thinks listener, you are very familiar with the, with AB5, California's Assembly Bill 5 or AB5, which reclassified many of their independent contractors as employees. Um, and you're probably familiar with the PRO Act, which is what I led the lead off in. Um, this is this your research, Leah is very important to this debate because a lot of these laws that are are be are 
about reclassifying workers are based on the idea of, well, we've got to hit the tech companies. We've got to give, get hit the gig, gig economy um, companies because they're not treating their workers right. And, and I think your research speaks to that. So talk a little bit, um, you know, and, and remember our, our listeners are, are definitely not uh, economic theory folks. Um, so, you know, just basically, how do you think your research informs the debate about um, whether we need greater laws to protect independent contractors? Well, Patrice, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, the policies like the PRO Act or California's AB5, um, they're going after like the gig economy, right? They, they say that's the villains like Uber and DoorDash and some of these others. But the problem is that the collateral damage ends up being women <laughs> because um, because first of all, think about this. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, um, the transportation sector, most of those people working in most of the people working in the transport sector, transportation sector are not men, but are, are not women. Excuse me. They are men. Um, but that's who that's the target role. But we forget that women are are all like across all different sectors as independent workers. And I just want to highlight a couple um, a couple roles where we see women as um proofreaders and copy ma- uh, copy makers, writers, uh, massage therapists, mm-hmm. uh, phlebotomists, animal trainers, uh, nannies, um, fitness trainers, tutors. And these are all different types of roles that are all impacted by things like California's AB5 and the PRO Act. Um, and I think one, so just one main thing I, I want to point out, and then we can discuss a couple other implications later. Um, so again, to the extent that some specific platforms or some specific roles, right, um, they provide flexibility of work to those women who need it. And again, they extend opportunities, um, they extend work opportunities to women who would be otherwise unable to take on traditional employment. And that's really important to emphasize. So any challenges to the legal classification of independent contractors or independent workers, it could disproportionately hinder women's participation on these platforms and in the labor force more broadly. Because like I I mentioned, women are voluntarily leaving traditional employment or voluntarily deciding that they can't take on traditional employment and going to these independent work opportunities. But when we're doing analysis of, like rules like California's AB5 or the PRO Act, we're not thinking about and we're not including in our analysis how rules like this could harm women's participation in the labor force via independent work opportunities. Well, so the headline from this discussion today, the PRO Act, women would be the collateral damage of the PRO Act. Leah, you said it so well. But I'm going to play devil's advocate just for a moment. Uh, And a lot of the proponents of the PRO Act or California's AB5 or people who think that they're, um, you know, support this kind of legislation, they say, well, wait a minute, these companies are are ripping off workers. Um, They are intentionally misclassifying workers that should be employees as independent contractors so they don't have to pay overtime, they don't have to pay minimum wages, you know, they don't have to provide benefits, and that unfortunately then falls on the state. So, you know, how do you respond to those proponents who say that there's widespread misclassification of, of workers in the gig economy or, or of independent contractors writ large? 
So I think it's a great point, Patrice, that you bring up. So we, we should acknowledge, like, what, what's the intention or what's the justification? And I want to, I'm going to discuss um, a bit more about the intention, but I wanted to also bring up that that's why it's important to do the type of work that um, a lot of economists do, which is we want to acknowledge the intentions, but also understand that intentions, like you can't hang your hat on the intentions. We have to also talk about implications and consequences. And so you're right, is that the intention of the rule is, okay, there might be misclassification in the U.S., but I would like to point out that uh, most of the, mis a lot of the misclassification, I should say, is uh, often in, is limited, and it's in the transportation sector. Um, again, that's not where, we're, where most women are working, right, <laughs> as, as we discussed today. Um, and the second thing I want to point out is, so if the intention of the rule is, the intention of the rule is, okay, we can, if we make it harder for workers to be independent contractors, then uh, organizations will be forced to hire them as employees. And then therefore they'll have access to benefits and other employment-based protections. So the intention sounds really great. The, the problem is, and as we saw what happened in California, Patricia, is that like a lot of people lost their job opportunities and to extent that um, different uh, news agent, uh, different media outlets, excuse me, like New York Times, uh, Washington Post and LA Times, they had to highlight the impact that this had on bunch of different uh, jobs and bunch of different roles. Like the LA Times did a heartbreaking story about all the different types of roles in the creative community mm -hmm. that lost their jobs. And we just have to acknowledge that not all of those independent workers will become employees. And that's clearly what we saw in, happen in California's AB5. And not only do they not become employees, but then they lose their independent work opportunities. So uh, Uber, AB, uh, Uber, for example, they released their analysis on what would a um, what would a nationwide forced reclassification, something like the PRO Act, look mm -hmm. like for them. And they said, we would only be able to hire a quarter of the current uh -huh. drivers working with Uber. So that means 75% of individuals would lose their jobs completely. So they won't become employees. That's the intention, right? And then they'll lose their independent work opportunities. And that's why it's really important to highlight like the consequences and the reality. And I understand the intention, mm -hmm. um, but I just want to point out that, you know, you can't hang your hat on the intention. We have to understand the consequences. And we already saw this happen with California's AB5. And it happened to such an extent that, as you saw, California then exempted a bunch of different occupations from California's AB5. We saw the entire music industry lobby and say like, hey, you know, we're all freelancers here. This is destroying our, <laughs> this is destroying it, our industry. It, it still wasn't enough because there's still so many workers, unfortunately, that are under AB5. Um, exactly. I, I think you're, you're yeah. spot on, Leah. You are spot on. Um, you know, I think our discussion today, my two, three big takeaways, number one is PROACT ha would have collateral damage and that that damage would be women, the loss of opportunities for women. I think you articulated that so well. Um, you talked about 
you know, the flexibility being a driving force for women in the gig economy in general. And I think there's some surprising observations from your research that we talked about today, um, which, which is, you know, I, there are some other things, I, some nuggets of, of information in there that I read, um, you know, that I think is also going to be very interesting. And I think most importantly, it's that we have to push back against well-intentioned policies that will do more harm than good. And you, you, you said that so well um, in your last answer there. So, you know, Leah, you are fantastic. Your research is great. I'm looking forward to the final uh, papers being released uh, very soon, and we'll be sure to link to it so readers can um, can view your, your research and also uh, visit you at the Mercatus Center on your website to learn more. So thank you for joining us this afternoon, Leah. Um, and thank you for our listeners uh, to today's She Thinks Papa podcast. Uh, I, I would implore you, if you want to read some of those stories that Leah talked about, heart-wrenching stories, people who have lost their, their livelihoods, lost their businesses, lost their income because of you know California's reclassification of independent contractors, go to our website at iwf.org slash AB5, iwf.org slash AB5. We've got some of those stories and videos right there for you. So with that, uh, until next time, we hope you will be back to listen to She Thinks podcast and do like us on every and any platform where you download your latest podcast. Have a good day. <music>